That was good. All right, here we go again. Welcome to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner, owner and founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. I am pleased to have part two of the series where I have, uh, I'm just so pleased to have the guest, uh, Gene Goldman, he's a chartered financial analyst who is the Chief Investment Officer and the Director of Research for Satara Investment Management. Um, Quick note, Satara happens to be my broker-dealer, so not so much that he's in my chain of command, but he's certainly, I'm proud to have him be part of the same company that I'm involved with. So where we talked about in the prior episode was mainly about where are we now, okay? And where we are now is we are staring down the barrel of massive inflation. Um, again, as a disclosure, uh, this is being taped one week before, so this is literally being taped on Friday, May 13th. So if some of the data looks old, it's a week old, and we all know how things can change. So we just got uh, the April consumer price index numbers, which came in at 8.3%, which were pretty high. Okay, basically 40-year highs except for last month, but the good news is that for the first time in a long time, it's actually coming down. We had the producer price index numbers came in uh, on Thursday, they were at 11%, which is also ridiculously high. Inflation has been the problem. However, we talked about in the prior episode that it appears as though inflation may have peaked and there's reasons to think that it may be coming down, which is good, and that the Fed is implementing a variety of different programs, specifically raising interest rates in the attempt to slow down inflation. So. I guess what I'd like to be able to spend a little bit of time today is where are we going from here? Well, there's another set of numbers called the leading economic indicators. Leading economic indicators basically take the composite of 10 different numbers. We love to use these and follow these because it's remarkable how almost every single time that the leading economic indicators dipped below zero, it was the onset of a recession. And so leading economic indicators over the past several months have been slowing down, but they're not at zero. Can you show that slide again, please? So we love leading economic indicators because they, as you can see, every time it started the dip where you see those regions of shaded, that's when we were in a recession. Amazing chart following the leading economic indicators. Right now, through the end of April, they're at 6.39. They're leaking a little bit from the past few months, but they're still positive, which is positive. So the leading economic indicator kind of alludes to where are we and where are we going to be in six months. Gene, I'd like for you to pick it up from here. Talk to us more about leading e economic indicators and how you feel about it with the market, the economy. Please pick up Sounds where good. I left off. Sounds good. And then your, your, your viewers on the 20th, who will be watching this on the 20th, you are so lucky because next week you're going to get a ton of economic data. And we'll, we'll highlight some of this. But the thing you have to remember is March, you'll get the June, the June I'm looking at this on my screen right now, you'll get the FOMC meeting minutes from the um, from the May meeting. That's good news. You'll hear what the Fed was thinking. So I just pulled up while we were talking. Lots of great data next week. 
enjoy it. It's going to be There's great. There's great data every week, Gene. For us, data geeks, we love data. We love no, we love data. There's a lot of data, a lot of great data, a lot of data to watch. Watch one data point that we love to watch that Mike was just alluding to is the LEI, the leading economic indicators. So what it is, it's ten indicators. It's like um, you know, around the markets, around fixed income, around spread. It's it's a great indicator to say how do we get this data to kind of compile for the economy? How's the economy doing? It looks like the spread between different interest rates. You know, risky are people? Is there is there a pullback in credit markets? It's building permits, initial jobless claims, it's new orders, it's it's things like average weekly hourly earnings, average weekly hours in manufacturing. Think about all these data points, and it has a high correlation to predicting the economy. As Mike said, it tends to predict a recession if it goes negative within the next 12 months. That LEI, as we saw on the slide earlier, it's come down, it's rolled over but it's still pretty strong and we don't see it signaling a recession within the next 12 months. Beyond 12 months, next two, three years, lots of time between now and then, but right now, next 12 months, we just don't see it. Speaking of recession, people were saying, oh my God, GDP for the first quarter was negative 1.3%. Remember, a recession is defined as two quarters of negative GDP. Right. That negative 1.3% was actually a really good number because you know what happened? Imports surge dramatically, and that pushes GDP down because you know it's imports minus exports. Um, yeah, imports minus exports. It surged, imports surge. That means supply chains are opening up. People are getting access to supplies. So Mike, who bought twelve Peloton bikes during uh, the pandemic, can buy another twelve pandemic. Yeah, right now I got twenty-four <laughs> Pelotons at my house. That's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so, LEI, we're watching. It's a great data point. We're watching it. There's many other data points to take a look at, but this is one of our favorite economic data points. I, I love it myself because, you know, we look at so much different data. And, you know, by no means are we market predictors, but we try to protect our clients' portfolios. And if we see the train coming, you know, we see that light at the end of the tunnel, it's the train coming. You know, we just try to be a little bit more cautious. So, so as you pointed out, is it's favorable. Yeah, it's favorable. If you look at the underlying components, it's about seven out of the 10 are pretty positive. The ones that are mixed, you know, the market volatility is part of it. It's mixed. Right. It's kind of like a, uh, causes uncertainty. There is also um, sort of these consumer good, uh, consumer sentiment is a little bit negative. So basically consumer expectations of business conditions has come down a little bit. But that makes sense because your mortgage rates have jumped from three to you know five point three percent, or you're concerned about inflation. You know that makes sense. But the other indicators in terms of is the bond market healthy? Can, can companies borrow money? Are jobs pretty strong? Yes, jobless claims are pretty good. Building permits? Are we still building? Another one that's really positive is non-defense capital goods spending. What is that? These are these big companies going out and buying big, ginormous machines to drive productivity higher. Remember, it's hard to find people to work. So what companies are doing is they're saying, you know what, for the same number of people, I want to buy a big, ginormous machine that could produce more for the same number of people. That's good news for the economy. That's productivity. That's good for profit margins. Profit margins are good for earnings. Earnings are good for stocks because people buy the shares of those stocks and earnings moving higher. Companies can hire more people, raise wages. I can get paid more. Mike can get paid more. We like that. Earnings are good. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I have a handful of clients who are business owners. And, you know, I, I use a lot of them just to, just to not use them, but I keep in touch with them because yeah, it yeah. helps me get a gauge on what's going on on the street. Now, 
My brother owns a granite manufacturing and not manufacturing, but you know, he, he does granite kitchens and, and he does kitchens. So one of the things that he said is that he's getting beat up right now because he has a lot of contracts that are fixed in price. And now all of his imported goods, because he's paying for the granite, his cost for the granite is more than doubled. His cost for labor is going up because of the whole uh, wage growth. So is how much is this going to impact the businesses? Because I always like, I like to look at the fundamentals. The fundamentals are corporate earnings, earnings growth, dividend and dividend growth. So it all comes down to the earnings. How much is this inflation going to hurt corporate earnings? Not surprisingly, not that much. Really? Because it's surprisingly, because if you look at first quarter earnings, it's been a mixed bag, some companies, but a lot of these companies that can raise prices. What, unfortunately, what we're seeing at companies, I know your, your brother-in-law is, is not a good example, but companies are taking higher costs and they're passing them off to consumers pretty easily. You look at, you listen, um, there's a, I can't really talk about individual stocks, but there's a chicken company, a company that, you know, poultry makes, you know, not makes chicken, but you know, yeah, 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 sure. it's a, it, you know, you know it's chicken, distributed chicken. Right. And their business year over year, the number of chickens sold to supermarkets was up half of 1%, very small move. But if you look at their overall sales in terms of volume with raising prices, up 24% companies are raising prices to your to your brother's question or your your comment there's an indicator that we look at a lot we love the lei which we talked about but we love this something called the pmi and the pmi is called the purchasing managers index we love this for two reasons first of all it's the first look at the prior month's economy you know gdp you get gdp but gdp is late second of all is a high correlation to market returns the pmi it's a survey of hundreds of purchasing managers the front line on buying stuff for companies and they're asked how's business how's hiring how's firing how's competition how are granite prices how are you know how's competition how are, how are supplier how are deliveries it takes all these numbers and it squeezes them together and whenever this index is above 50 it's expansionary for the economy Below 50 is contractionary. And all these indicators are well above 50. You know what's the highest though, unfortunately, is pr prices paid and supplier deliveries. Prices paid are like this, because as, as your brother said, grant prices are high. But the good news, prices are starting to come down in the survey. Supplier deliveries are very high. They're coming down. Supply chains are opening up. Take a look at this PMI index, purchasing management index. There's one for manufacturers, there's one for right. service industries. Right. So, and we look at PMI all the time. Uh, do yes. you put more weight into the manufacturing or the service or both? We look at both. We yeah, look okay. at both right now. I think manufacturing is going to be key because something we touched on, if you look at inventory to sales ratios in our economy right now, it's dropped dramatically because there's very low inventory and sales are surging. We're buying everything. But what we do believe as we transition to this mid-cycle recovery, things start to slow down companies and manufacturers can rebuild that inventory. That's good for the economy. I know we're more of a services economy, but we still have a big chunk of manufacturing, and especially with potentially deglobalization, manufacturing is gonna be so important right now in the United States. Well, you know, one of the things they were talking about a couple or a few years ago was trying to shift a lot of the manufacturing back to the United States. And they came to the realization that when COVID hit and we were getting 95% of certain goods from China, 
all of a sudden that supply chain got cut off. They realized that's a big problem. We'd love nothing more than to see all of this manufacturing come back to the United States because then that would help our GDP numbers because then instead of us importing, we're creating it and manufacturing it itself. And the one thing that you told me during break that I asked that made me fall off the chair, although I didn't fall off the chair, was when you referenced in the prior episode that we're producing 1.5 million barrels less per day of oil. I look at that and I say, well, Gene, how much do we produce? And you said 10 now, which means if it was 11.5, we've knocked down our production by almost 15%. Now, I'm just looking at it, and of course, this ends up being a political statement, but God, open up the spigots. Because I would think that if they did that, it would drive a lot of the prices down to the consumer. It would improve consumer sentiment. And then, you know, not only are they not having to pay for gas or at least lower prices for gas, transportation costs are going to go down. And if we become a net exporter, now all of a sudden we could sell it to Europe and make them less um, dependent on Russia. And not only that, but if we become a net exporter again, we're raising our GDP and lowering our debt. I have a comment on this. So, so I did a presentation earlier this week with Ben Stein. You know, ben oh, Stein, yeah, Ben Stein. Ferris uh, Bueller's Day Off. He, great, great experience. And he said the exact same thing. I mean, I'm not making a political statement. I'm not political. But he said, President Biden needs to stop this fracking. He needs, I mean, he needs to let fracking happen. Right. It's going to change everything. So, so echoing what you just said. Yeah, well. All right, hey, we're up against break again. So, uh, viewers, Thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back in just a few moments to pick up where we left off. Have you saved enough for retirement? Are you financially prepared for an emergency or unexpected event? Have you thought about your financial future? Hi, I'm Mike Manager, founder of Manager & Associates Financial Planning. For over 20 years, we have been answering our clients' questions just like these as we develop unique and comprehensive financial plans tailored to meet their needs. When addressing your financial plan, we incorporate your entire financial picture, including taxes, estate planning, as well as investment planning and retirement planning. So call us today for a complimentary, no-obligation consultation. A unique approach to financial planning. Welcome back to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger. And again, I'm continuing to be proud and delighted that I have Gene Goldman, Chartered Financial Analyst, uh, Chief Investment Officer, and Director of Research for Satara Investment Management. Um, this is episode two. Um, first episode, we were talking really the fundamentals of what's going on in this world, and it's called inflation and what the Fed's doing, et cetera, et cetera. Now we're talking a little bit more of where are we going from here. In the first segment, we spent a lot of time talking about leading economic indicators. And now what I really would like to talk about are valuations, okay? So, you know, valuations are mathematical, but they're also perceived. If you perceive something to be on sale, you're more apt to buy it. If you perceive it to be expensive, you're more apt not to buy it. But that hasn't stopped the markets because the markets have been very over, arguably overvalued. If you could show the uh, valuation slide, please. 
So what this slide is, is the uh, light blue is the earnings of the S&P 500. The aggregate of all of the S&P 500 companies is the light blue line. And you can see that continue to goes up. It's continuing to go up. However, the purple line, the squigglier one, is the P.E. ratios, which is going down. What a P.E. ratio is, very simply, is if a company's stock price is $100 a share and it has earnings of $5 a share, the price is 100 divided by the earnings of 5 is 20. And so the historical average, I believe, is somewhere around the last 20 to 25 years, somewhere around 16.5. The P.E. ratios in the late 1990s were hovering up there at almost 30. And even coming into and right prior to the recession in 2020, they were up there in the low to mid-20s. And here they are coming back to earth again. And so arguably a P.E. ratio coming down is either the price is coming down, which is absolutely what's happening, or the earnings are coming up. Well, guess what? We have both of them going on right now. Gene, I'd like to p have you pick up where I'm talking about. Please talk to me about earnings and valuations. Sure, you said it perfectly. So PE ratio is price of the index divided by earnings. So in this case, that slide shows the S&P 500. One slight change I wanna make that blue line, it's earnings, but it's, it's expected earnings. Oh, okay. So that's important. So now you've got earnings are gradually higher. So right now in the, the first quarter of earnings, first quarter of earnings season for the S&P came in really good. Markets had expected about 6% at the beginning of the quarter, came in at 9.1%. Hmm. For 2022, the market's expecting earnings of 10.1%. Yes, there could be some changes, but at the end of the day, earnings are still pretty solid. The PE ratio, right now, if that's on forward earnings. That's 16.8 per the slide. And think about that. Just four or five months ago, our PE ratio in the stock market was 22. At 22, that's near tech bubble levels. That's those really high elevated levels. But the 22 worried us because it priced in absolute perfection. Everything needed to be perfect, perfect. And now the valuation is down to about 16, almost seven, around 16, 17. That allows a lot of the uncertainty to be priced in the market, that's good, good, good news. We love the valuations right now. Could it go lower? Yeah, it could. But right now, there's some point where stocks are getting pretty attractive and pretty cheap. So we like valuation. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, we're cautiously optimistic in the stock market. And other investors are seeing this too. We talked about this before. Stocks, the S&P 500, almost hit a bear market. A bear market is when stocks fall from peak to trough 20%. Stocks fell about, I think, like 19.5% and bounced back. This is what investors are watching very carefully. And we do believe, we're cautiously optimistic that, that we have a bottom. We, we do believe that we have a bottom or we're close to a bottom. Well, so the other thing about the S&P 500 is the S&P 500, I don't know what the percentage is now, but I know uh, when the FANG stocks were very popular, the S&P 500 is not an average of 500 stocks, it's weighted based on the size of the company. So you got Mother Apple, which is gigantic, it's the number one size, I don't know if Microsoft took it over, the two of them are bouncing around. But the fact of the matter is, is that those stocks represent about 27% of the S&P 500, and most of them are in the technology industry, which have substantially higher PEs. 
the technology industry with the high PEs are definitely coming back to earth again. And to point out to the viewers is that a true valuation of a company, its current value has part of its component involves the present value, which involves interest rates. So if a company is not spitting out a dividend and it'll have a much, much higher PE. And as a result, when the interest rates have been rising, it's the high PE stocks that have been getting cremated, which is indicative of the NASDAQ, let's say. Or if you were to take the Russell 1000 and split it, the Russell 1000 value, which are the value stocks, those are what I refer to as your brick and mortar, your big fat cruising along utility stocks spitting out dividends, okay, as opposed to your growthier type of stocks, your technology where they take all their money, reinvest, and they're expected to grow faster than the market, those are the ones that are getting creamed. And so, as we all know, in the last few years, those growth stocks have substantially outperformed value. Nobody wanted to be in value. That's boring. It's making only 10%. Why would I do 10% if I could do 30 or 40 in the growth stocks? Well, guess what, guys? We're seeing a reversal. Do you have numbers on that, Gene? Yeah, yeah. So to your point, so I think year to date, value, the value stocks are down about 8.2% as of right now. Oh, that much? And growth, and growth stocks year to date are down 24%. All right. And I think, and Mike, to, to kind of add to what you said, you know, in 2020, we ended the longest expansion in the history of our country. It was 128 months. And it, when you have a long growth expansion, like a very long, like a rubber band, strong and pulled out, what does well in that environment in a low growth but long environment? Growth stocks, because the market likes to find growth names in that type of environment, like technology. That's why technology did so well in the 2000s and so on and so forth. But today, we are in a different type of recovery. We have more inflation, and our growth came out significantly higher than past expansions. In that type of environment, value stocks, those boring brick and mortars, as you call, industrials, materials, financials, energy, those companies do pretty well in this type of environment. Plus, they're cheaper, lower valuation, lower P-E ratios. This is why I know, Mike, you and I talked about this before. You and I, while we have diversified portfolios, we do like value. Value is an attractive asset class. Well, I was also, I just wrote a paper on this. Um, if we compare to the 20 year averages of PE ratios, the mm -hmm. PE ratios of growth are still 28% above their 25 year averages, yet uh, large cap value is like 3% above, which means it's back to earth again. And even your mid cap and small cap values are to the tune of 70 or 80 or 90% of their long term, which means just based on valuations compared to historical valuations they're actually cheap but just because they're cheap just because macy's is having a 20 percent sale doesn't necessarily mean everybody's running in the door to buy their stuff exactly and i think a good point too is that you've seen this this strange market you see that's strange like it's a it's a catch-up where growth is selling off faster than value your your analysis of higher interest rates reduces the, the value of growth stocks it make it's perfect the other issue you're seeing with growth names is that you know with the pandemic people stayed at home and they're working from home they're buying stuff like you know you know netflix and buying all this other stuff and they're pulling it from the future that future growth to the present now a lot of these companies these e-commerce companies these shop at home companies these technology companies are saying well we've already pulled our growth from the future to the present now what do we have that's why you're seeing these companies take a bigger hit than a lot of the value names. 
But with that said, you know, diversification is an important strategy. While we like value over growth, there are some pockets of growth that we do like. I mean, think about like edge computing, think about cyber security, think about productivity companies spending more money to, to like really drive productivity. I'm not saying be overweight growth at this point. All we're saying is have a smidgen of it in your portfolio. And of the course, way you set smidgen, that allocation, talk to Mike and his team. They will go through and help you with that allocation. Well, thank you for that little plug, Gene. That was unintended, but always appreciated. <laughs> um, so we're, we're getting close uh, to the end, believe it or not. Care to give a conclusive statement? You know, where are we? Where are we going? You sound cautiously optimistic. Is that a good way of putting it? Yeah, we've been, so we've been cautious in the markets for some time. Getting, with the Fed getting aggressive, with you know uncertainty, we pivoted to being more cautiously optimistic. I mean, valuations are cheaper. Good news there. We do believe the economy can withstand you know less stimulus. Also, if you look at some of these sentiment surveys, they're saying extremely negative stuff. They're looking better and better. And even if you look at the bond market, the bond market is not screaming. Um, bad news are going on. Yes, the bond market, the risk in the bond market has increased a little bit, but not like 2008, not like summer 2011, not like 2014. So we are cautiously optimistic. There's one last, one last point I want to tell you is this. In the last 42 years, the stock market has been positive, the S&P 500 has been positive in 35 out of 42 years. So again, 42 years, the last 42 years, the S&P 500 is positive in 35 of 42 years. The average intra-year loss, the average intra-year correction, the average downside, the average pullback in those years is negative 14%. Yeah, I know at one point we're down 17% or so, but think about it. Volatility, pulling back, taking a break, a volatility, a correction is a normal part of investing. Historically speaking, we have a correction every eight months. Yes, we had a correction earlier this year. Yes, we are in a correction now. But before that, we haven't had a correction since March of 2020. And before that, it was it was not since what the fall of 2018. Corrections happen once every eight month. Normal part of investing. Every eight months. What did you say? Every, every eight month, about eight months on average. Really, and for what it's worth for the viewer, a correction is defined as a 10 percent drop, peak to trough. So yeah, exactly. I, I didn't realize it was as I, I thought it was once a year, but every eight months. Well, that's probably the average. But anyway, exactly. we're out of time. Gene, I cannot thank you enough for the time and the insight and your knowledge, your expertise, and I can't think of all the other adjectives. So uh, thank you very much, Gene. I, I greatly appreciate you coming on to my show. And if you're willing, I'd love to have you back again sometime in the future. My pleasure, I, I would love to be here. Thank you so I love much. Love it. Have well, a great day, have a great Friday, thank you. Thank you very much, Gene. And to the viewers, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the message with Gene Goldman, the two episodes. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, Gene's a great guy. He does a wonderful job. And I would love to have him back on the show again. So for those of you or the viewers who, who stuck it in for the whole 30 minutes, uh, thank you very much for being here. And uh, I look forward to having you back the next time. Thank you very much. My name again is Mike Menninger, certified financial planner host of Financial Planning Explained. You have a wonderful day and rest of your week. Thank you very much. Thank you.